0: Well, hey, Welcome back to Connect. This is week two of our Protege Series, and I have a special guest for you. Ricky, come on, take the stage. Ricky, I'll give it up for Ricky. Ricky's going to be uh, part of the teaching team. Uh, Lucas has been obviously part of the teaching team now f- uh, for the last year or, or almost a year, and, and he will periodically show his face, right, Lucas? Periodically show your face. He's saying no. Yeah, I'm sure he will. He loves he loves teaching as well. But Ricky, uh, we've been I've been talking with Ricky now for boy a few months about teaching, about being involved. What's his heart, you know, for being uh, involved at Connect? And he's been involved in a lot of different areas and stuff. But one of the things was teaching, and so we've dialogued about that. We've talked a lot about it. And so a few weeks ago, he started joining us in our telecons, our weekly telecons, as we get together with the Bozeman campus. And there's four or five of us to get together. We talk about the messages. We talk about the series. We line out the outlines. And and so we're teaching. If you don't know, we're one campus in two locations. Bozeman has a connect and now Great Falls has a connect. And so we're one church in two locations. We teach the same material at both places. We work on it. We collaborate together. And it's really a great thing. It's nice to work in a group uh, atmosphere like that because a lot of thoughts come up. And and really, everybody brings something different to the table. So this is Ricky's first week to be able to enjoy uh, being a part of what we have going on here. So, um, yeah, so you'll see Ricky here the next, the next few weeks and going in the next few months. So it'll be a lot of fun. But we did start our Protege Series last week, and the first person that we focused on was Peter. And we learned that Peter, Jesus could see in Peter what Peter could not see in himself. And that was kind of our big thought for last week that Jesus saw in Peter what Peter couldn't see in himself, and we challenged each one of us that Jesus speaks that same word to us as well. He, he, he gives us confidence. God shows us things in ourselves that, that we don't even know that we have, and then we can do that with others that we're working with as far as in mentoring relationships or whatever. Lucas talked a little bit about mentoring and discipleship uh, earlier in, in our service today, so so that was, the, that was the big deal or the big idea from last week. This week, we're going to focus on John. And John is an interesting disciple. I got to tell you, I didn't know really a lot about the ins and outs of how Jesus really related to these disciples until we, until we start studying it out and start looking at it. And so John is a really interesting, interesting person from the Bible, John is. But before we get there, I, I just got a quick story for you. You know, Gene and I have been traveling back and forth to Bozeman over the last year and a half or so. And I remember this one particular trip down to Bozeman. It was probably it was probably two years ago now, almost. And we were downtown. And if you've ever been to Bozeman, there's Main Street that's called Main Street. They got a lot of great and got a lot of great places to eat and stuff down there. And so we're on the side of the road, parked there in one of the parking spots, and we were in shopping or eating. I can't remember exactly where. And we were in between two signals. We were maybe three-quarters of the way down going. I believe it was east. And I'm parked off in a parking spot. Well, we get done doing whatever we were doing, and we all jump in the vehicle. And uh, I start up the car. I put my blinker on to pull out in the traffic. And I look in my rearview mirror, and I see the signal, and... uh, Think it was it was red, but there was a, a truck, not a semi, but just a truck pulling a trailer uh, beyond that, and and you know it looked to me like he was slowing down and stuff. So I put on my blinker and I pull out. Well, as I pull out, all of a sudden I hear this horn, just. Going at it. And I'm like, what is going on? You know, and it was nice. So we had our windows rolled down. All of a sudden, I hear this guy yelling at me because then I look in my rear view mirror, right? And the truck, it wasn't like right on me, but the truck's there. And I'm like, oh no, what's going on? So I had pulled out and he thought I pulled out right in front of him, you know, and so he's doing the horn. All of a sudden, he starts yelling out his window. Well, I got to tell you what, I'm a pretty patient guy and I'm a pretty relaxed guy, but something inside of me snapped, I think, because I was like, what are, you, what are you doing? I had my blinker on. What, why, are you, you know, why are you yelling at me? He's like, i am got these two race cars in the back of my trailers, 10,000 pounds, and you pull out right in front of me. I go, I did not. Didn't you see my blinker? I mean, the light was even right. So I'm yelling at this guy out my window, and I see the people on the side of the road, and they're kind of snickering and stuff like that, and we went at it. I wouldn't back down, and he kept yelling at me, Uh, He didn't swear, and I didn't swear, so I thought that was really cool, so I chalked that one up. But man, I I snapped. I don't know what it was. And I tell you, the funniest thing about the whole story is that after everything was said and done, because I told you that we were in between signals there, and when I had pulled out, I looked up, and my signal was red, so I had gotten up to the signal, but then all of this chaos starts happening. So here, I'm at the signal with this guy, yelling back and forth out the window. And so the signal turns turns green and I take off and I look around the car within me and there is three people shocked at what just happened. Everybody's looking at me like, what happened to you? What were you? I can't believe that you just went off on that guy. And I'm like, what? I'm still like kind of defending myself. I'm like, I put my blinker on and I pulled out. What's, what's the guy talking about? It was hilarious. Gene, they just couldn't believe, Russ, Chris, and Gene could not believe what had just transpired, that all of a sudden, I just went off on this guy. Russ still reminds me about that today. When we we were talking about this outline, he's talking about a story, and I'm like, hey, I got that Bozeman story, and he's like, you need to use that Bozeman story. So that was me flipping out on this guy behind me, and I was trying to justify the fact that I wasn't doing anything wrong. Well, I don't know about you, but have you ever lost it? Have you ever lost your temper? Maybe not like like that, but an, and maybe in another situation you lost your temper. And has ever anyone had to correct you when you lost your temper? Now, I did admit that probably I flew off the handle, and you know, and they they were like, "Man, I can't believe you just you freaked out on the guy." So I you know I didn't feel seriously corrected. Uh, but they were definitely correcting me that I probably shouldn't have have lost it at that point in time. But how about you? Have you ever lost it, lost your temper, been corrected, maybe felt foolish? I felt a little foolish after that. We're going to find out today that that John has kind of a similar relationship with Jesus as far as uh, maybe flying off the handle a little bit and then we'll find out what Jesus has to say to John. So turn with me into Mark chapter three. That's where we're gonna start today. And if you've been doing the God of words speak devotional that we've been doing since the beginning of the year, you read Mark chapter three this last week. So Mark chapter three, we're starting in verse 13. Afterward, Jesus went up on a mountain and called out the ones he wanted to go with him. And they came to him. Then he appointed 12 of them and called them apostles. So obviously there was a large group here. You know, we hear many times that Jesus uh, picked 12 or chose 12, but there was another larger group of about 70 that kind of followed him all around. And then there was a large group of 500 that ended up joining his posse. Uh, But here we see that, you know, there's a group and he calls out the 12. They were to accompany him and he would send them out to preach and give them authority to cast out demons. Now, I just want to make a side note real quick. So they had authority to cast out demons. And what's really interesting is next week, we're going to, we're going to uh, talk about Mary of Magdala. And I did not realize this. I, I probably had read over this several times, but Mary of Magdala had seven demons cast out of her. So it's really interesting that, you know, we're reading here that they have authority to cast out demons. And then we'll find out, we'll talk next week about Mary, that she was probably one of the ones that, that came across the apostles. So back to the verses. These are the 12 he chose. Simon, who he named Peter, and we talked about that last week. James and John, we're going to talk about John today. The sons of Zebedee, but listen to this. Jesus nicknamed them the sons of thunder. And then the others are listed there and I'm not gonna read them all because we're talking about John today. But isn't that cool? The sons of thunder of thunder. And that was Jesus's nickname for them. I think that's really awesome that Jesus nicknamed them that. That talks about relationship. That kind of talks about the, the type of person Jesus was. Uh, I'm a nickname kind of a guy. I, I love giving giving people nicknames and stuff like that if, if they want me to. And, and they're nice nicknames. But I just, to me, it's relationship. It's familiarity. It's you know, I'm a good friend to you if if we can have nicknames with each other and stuff. So I, I, I really relate to the fact that Jesus nicknamed these guys the sons of thunder. Now, thunder means this, fiery and destructive zeal, tumultuous, unbridled, just like real thunder, loud, brash, and unexpected. So these guys were pretty bad dudes, I would think. Got to remember, these guys are fishermen, right? Salty fishermen that Jesus is calling into his posse. And here he calls these guys the sons, of, the sons of Thunder. Now, when I think of Sons of Thunder, a, a lot of times my mind goes to a motorcycle gang. I, they probably would be riding Harleys today if they were in current culture. You know, I know there's, there's that show, Sons of Anarchy, and I've never watched it. I've heard a lot about it. But, you know, you kind of go to that motorcycle-type gang-type stuff. And so that's who these guys were. Now, I got to remember Jesus, the wisest person on the earth, he actually chose these guys to be part of the 12, which is really fascinating to me. He really was taking on a challenge, wasn't he? Calling these guys the sons of thunder. And, and just like in Peter's case, Jesus could see what other people couldn't see. You know, like I said, these guys are salty fishermen. Obviously, there's James and John, but we're, we're just talking about going to focus on John here out. But here's John, one of the sons of thunder, a salty fisherman, And he's young. He's a young guy, too. And here Jesus is calling him to be part of the twelve. Jesus could look past the rough exterior. And just like we talked about last week, Jesus can always see the diamond in the rough. And that's exactly what he saw in John.
1: Now, the Bible doesn't tell us why Jesus called them the sons of thunder. It does give us a few hints. Uh, one of those hints is in Luke nine fifty one through 56. And let me get back to that because my phone just did something really awesome. Okay. As time drew near for him to ascend to heaven... Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. He sent messengers ahead to a Samaritan village to prepare for his arrival. But the people of the village did not welcome Jesus because he was on his way to Jerusalem. Now, one of the reasons that they didn't welcome him is because this was a Samaritan village. And the Samaritans and the Jews did not get along with each other at all. So you didn't see a lot of Jewish people taking hikes around Samaritan villages. You didn't see them walking through, waving to people, saying, hey, how you doing? Because they'd probably be beaten up and kicked out of town. So this was, uh, you know, these guys weren't really happy that Jesus was, uh, they liked that he was coming through because everyone knew who he was. But they didn't like the fact that he was coming through on his way to Jerusalem. That just wasn't a place that they were really fond of. When James and John saw this, they said to Jesus, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? But Jesus turned and rebuked them. So they went on to another village. So you can kind of get an idea about why the sons of thunder thing came up. I mean, John's first reaction to people not being really happy about Jesus coming through their village was, okay, we will just call on fire from heaven. Burn them up. They'll be completely gone. We won't have to worry about these people anymore. <laughs> that was his solution. So Jesus rebuked them. The Bible uses the word rebuke. And the word rebuke means to admonish, to reprove or correct firmly and sharply, but not necessarily harshly. Have you ever been rebuked? Has anybody has anybody ever had to say, Hey, what you're thinking, what you're doing, what you're saying, that, that's, that's not cool. Um, if you're anything like me, your first reaction to a rebuke is probably not the right reaction to a rebuke. <laughs> you know, you're being corrected, you're being reproved. Yeah, that, that doesn't really work for me most of the time. Now, later I'll kind of go, "Oh okay,, well, yeah, but in the heat of the moment when somebody says, "Hey, that was not for you to say or do," yeah, not not really a fan of that. Um, in fact, when I was younger, um, if you can imagine this, i 've not always been the pillar of patience, grace, and mercy that you see before you today. <laughs> There have been times that I may have been a tad bit overzealous about things. And I was at church. Um, we had a men's group that met on Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock after the youth dispersed. And one of the guys in the men's group, I as I was going into church, I noticed he was standing outside the pastor's office where we had our, our men's group. He was standing out there smoking. Now, In my younger days, I picked whatever I wanted to pick and said, that is really, really wrong and they shouldn't even be around church if they're doing that. Again, not the pillar of patience, grace, and mercy that you (laughs) see before you today. So I see this guy standing outside the pastor's office smoking. We get into the, uh, the men's group, into the pastor's office, and... Something happened to come up and someone mentioned something about it. And uh, I said, Well, yeah, I mean, if, if, if you can't keep from smoking while you're at church, I mean, you've you got a real problem. And the pastor looks at me because I made this guy feel like this big and I shouldn't have. But the pastor looks at me and he goes, Huh, who called you to be the Holy Spirit today? <laughs> And uh my first reaction to that was well, wait a minute I I'm, I'm not the guy doing something wrong why are you why are you on me so uh, you know it and the way he brought it across of course I deserved it but the way he brought it across it felt kind of it, it wasn't really a loving reproach it wasn't something that I was like oh you know he loves me it's why he said it so it's you know those corrections, those rebukes, they don't always seem all that loving. And I'm wondering if when Jesus rebuked the sons of thunder, I'm wondering if they felt that it was a little bit too unloving.
0: So John calls down or wants to call down fire from heaven, right? Well, let's take a look at another story. And this one's, this one's good too. In Mark chapter 9, starting at verse 38, we see this. John said to Jesus, teacher, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told them to stop because he wasn't in our group. Well, that's not going to go over too well with Jesus, I don't think. So let's see what Jesus says. He said, don't stop them, Jesus said. No one who performs a miracle in my name will soon be able to speak evil of me. And here's the key right here. Anyone who is not against us is for us. I love that way that Jesus has kind of brought that in. Anyone who's not against us is for us. And so here we see John going off half-cocked again, the fact that he was way off base. I mean, people were being healed. People were having demons taken out of them. And all these great things, these miracles were happening. But what John was concerned with is, is saving the brand name, right? you know, hey, these people aren't part of the Jesus group. You know, we're the kind of the insiders. We got Jesus's ears. So, you know, we're Jesus's posse. We're the Jesus group. So if you're not in the Jesus group, then you can't, you can't be doing any of that kind of stuff. He was concerned really with somebody else being a little more su- successful or maybe getting a little more PR that, than he was with his group of insiders. You know, it kind of makes me think of, of sometimes in Christian circles, Christian circles can, be the, can get into that same thing. And I'm not here to bash the Christian church at large at all, but I'm just here kind of to make a point that we need to really watch how we filter what we see and what we say through the lens of Jesus, not through the lens of me or through the lens of you. You know, I'm sure there's, you've had experiences in your lives where Christians got maybe a little self-righteous, and they said, well, if they're not part of our group, then they're, then they're not doing what they need to be doing in the kingdom of God. Now, I, I make, make it a point to go to the Wednesday pastor's prayer lunch. I don't know if many of you know that that exists, but there's a group in town of pastors that get together every Wednesday. And last year with, you know, with me changing jobs and then and being bivocational here at Connect and then finally being full-time at Connect last fall, I just didn't have time to make that a priority in my life every week. But this year, going forward, I said, I want to make that a priority. And so I've made it, the, you know, four or five times this year after they did the restart. And I want to tell you that there are a lot of pastors in this town that have a heart of unity to bring the churches together and to really be a force for the kingdom of God here in Great Falls. And that really encourages me. I've made a lot of great connections over the last couple months of the year, meeting with pastors, and many of them I knew just through the years that I've been around in leadership in the city, but I didn't really know them very well. But now I'm getting to see their heart and what their heart is for the city. And it's really encouraging. So I guess a prayer request would be pray for the pastors of the city. Specifically, that we would be unified in working with each other, in, in going and meeting the needs of the city, and reaching out to the lost, the unchurched, and the dechurched of this city. Because there are thousands and thousands and thousands of people that don't know Jesus. And it's our job as Christians to reach out to that group of people, that segment of our population here in Great Falls. It's not about our brand, it's not about connect or New City, or Harvest. It's about Jesus and bringing Jesus's healing power into the lives of people that live here. So back to our, and you can amen that all (laughs) day long. Back to our situation with John. Here we see John saying, hey, these guys, they're not a part of our group, so I'm telling them to stop. Stop casting out demons. Stop healing people. And Jesus is like, no, don't stop them. If they're, if they're for us, they're not against us. Or if they're not against us, then they are for us. So back to our situation. So what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus rebuked him again. That's what that was. Now, maybe that was a little softer. That was a little less confrontational than the first rebuke. But once again, Jesus brought correction to John's faulty thinking. And that was the bottom line. That's what Jesus wanted to do is help correct faulty thinking and and help correct these disciples and really to show his heart so that they would know what his heart was so that when he was gone, they would be able to tell and show others what the heart of Jesus was. So I wonder, did John ever feel unloved because of how Jesus rebuked him? Ricky asked that question. I'm asking that same question. Did he feel maybe rejected and ashamed?
1: So one more story about John. So John had this issue um, we just just heard about with this other group of people that were doing things in Jesus' name. Now, I don't know if John was like, hey, they're not part of the, our group So, you know, maybe Jesus wouldn't want them doing that. Or if it was more, you know what, they're not part of our group, so we're not getting the credit for that. People are seeing other people other than us doing these really cool things. And not only did they have that issue between those kind of groups, James and John had that issue within their own group. If we look at Mark 10:34 through 30, or through 35 through 45, It says, then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. Have you ever gone up to somebody and said, Could you do me a favor without telling them what the favor was? (laughs) Do you, you know, there's kind of an indication there that someone's being set up for something. (laughs) Hey, would you do me a favor? Uh And if the first thing is, Oh, sure, you got them, (laughs) they're hooked. Doesn't matter what the favor is after that. Um, if, if you look at the same story in Matthew, it actually says that, that their mother came and asked for the favor. So <laughs> uh, James and John, these guys crack me up because they had their mom come to Jesus and said, hey, would you do this for my boys? Now, we'll, you know, if you read through that one, you'll notice that you know, Jesus wasn't fooled. He knew where that came from. But in this one, he said, what is your request? And they replied, When you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. That might have been a little bit presumptuous. Might have been just a a question that I I don't know if I would have had the gumption to ask that. But again, I wasn't nicknamed a son of thunder. (laughs) So they're asking this for all eternity. Hey, can we sit at your right and your left? Because we know that when you get to heaven, you're going to sit in this awesome place of honor and the entire universe is going to worship you. We'd like to be sitting on either side. We think that'd be a good thing. (laughs) So Jesus responded. It says, but Jesus said to them, you don't know. What you're asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I am about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Jesus is asking these guys, do you have a clue what you're asking me? Have you thought this through at all? It's like they haven't been paying attention because he's told them the Son of Man is going to have to suffer, going to have to die. Now he's asking them, Are you guys going to be able to do that? And of course, the sons of thunder, oh, yes, we are able. Yep. <laughs> yeah, you bet. Now, I'm sure that there was not a long pause between him asking that question, them taking some time to think it over and, you know, muddle it over and meditate about it. And uh, yeah, no, it was just, are you going to be able to do this? Yeah, we're going to be able to do this. So this is where this story gets a little bit uh, uncomfortable for me if I were James or John. Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. Talk about getting the wind let out of your sails. So now, oh, yeah, we will be able to do that. Have you ever said, yes, I can, I can absolutely do that. And in the back of your mind, you're thinking there's never a chance it's going to happen.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, well, would you be able to jump that tall building over there? You betcha. Okay, go do it. That was kind of the situation here. It was, are you guys going to be able to go through what I have to go through? Yeah, I'm going to be glorified. But you guys don't understand what's between here and there. Are you going to be able to do that? And there's just this, you betcha. Okay, yeah, you're going to. I don't know what those guys felt right then, but if it was me, uh, I think my thunder would not have had very loud clap after that. (laughs) Now, this caused problems in the group. It says, when the ten other disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and officials flaunt their authority over those under them. So the other 10 disciples think about those guys. They're in earshot of this and they're hearing this conversation and they're hearing these two guys go, hey, we want to sit at your right and your left. The other guys are going, wait a minute, we're we've been here, too. We've been doing this stuff. Why do you even think that you have the, the right to ask the question? Mm-hmm. So. The rulers of this world lord it over their people, officials flaunt their authority over those under them, but among you, it will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant and whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. So this rebuke was. It was a little different. It was long. It was still corrective, but it was confrontational. It was kind of an in your face. Yeah, you guys are asking the wrong question here. You're asking for the wrong thing. Have you not figured out what's going on? Did I come to earth in this blaze of glory so that I could say, look who I am? Or did I come like a gentle whisper into this world so that I could serve the people that I'm with? So that I could be the sacrifice, so that I could be ransomed for their souls. It's not about who's going to be in a place of glory or who's going to get this title or this job. It's not about who gets to be seen doing these really cool things, it's about being a servant. And I think Jesus was basically asking them, have you not been paying attention? Have you not heard what I said? Have you seriously not figured this out yet?
0: So I'll ask the question again. How did John feel about being rebuked by Jesus over and over and over and over again? These are just three stories. There's more that we can read or focus on. But I think... I think this gives you a really good picture as to how John was, he was young, and his interaction with Jesus and what Jesus really wanted to speak into his life. But did John feel rejected? Did he feel ashamed? Did he maybe feel unloved? These are all great questions. And I'm so glad that he was able to write the gospel of John and that we have that document to read so that we could see another insight as to what John thought some 50 years later after a lot of these examples took place because the gospel of John was written around 85 to 90 AD and this was taking place around 30, 33, somewhere somewhere around there. So it was quite a few years later, John writes the gospel of John and We've already talked about this verse today. The kids read it for us or recited it, but I'd like to read it again along with verse 17. John 3:16 and 17. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. So what do we see here? Did you see that? Did you see what John said? The same son of thunder that we just talked about walking with Jesus being rebuked time and time again. The disciple that Jesus rebuked said this, that Jesus didn't come to judge the world, but Jesus came to save the world. Evidently, John knew that Jesus' rebuke that he had experienced all those years before, he understood that those rebukes were helping to save him. Helping to save him. That it wasn't an unloving gesture, but it was out of love that Jesus was taking the time and doing these things. Our big idea for today is this, if you're taking notes. Correction is not rejection. Correction is not rejection. And and here is further evidence uh, as to how John felt about his relationship with Jesus. Whenever John wrote about himself in the Gospel of John, he didn't refer to himself as I or John, and a lot of the other Bible writers do. Uh, I know Paul does, uh, Peter, but But look what John chose to write about himself in in his gospel account. He calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. Wow. In context of what we're talking about now, that's amazing. I always thought it was a little bit braggadocious that he said that, the, the disciple that Jesus loved. John, he loved all the disciples. Why are you just calling yourself out? But after really understanding Jesus's relationship with John through what we've just discussed and the points we've brought up, now it makes perfect sense. He understood that Jesus's relationship with him was a loving relationship. And I think each one of us need to understand the same thing in our own lives, that our relationship with God is a loving relationship because he has sacrificed for us by sending Jesus Now, Jesus wants to change our lives. That's a loving relationship in my book. John clearly understood that correction is not rejection. In fact, John understood that correction can, in fact, be the most loving thing that a person can do for another person. And as a parent, I can relate to this, and I know that not everyone here has children, uh, someday, probably all of us will, or, or most of us will, have children. But as a parent, I can really relate to that because, as a parent, that's how you discipline your children, or you should. That's not out of anger, it should be out of love and concern for their development and their nurturing in life. And so I totally get what Jesus was doing in John's life. He was helping him, he was loving him. I remember a story of of my daughter, Jessie, and Jean and I were just talking about this this morning, but she was about seven years old. We had recently got into this relationship with Jesus and called him Lord of our lives, and so we'd been going to church for maybe a year and a half or two years now at this point in time, so she was probably seven, and on this one particular Wednesday, I was, had the sprinklers out on the lawn, you know, it was in the summertime making them green and stuff like that, and Jean had, had made mention to Jesse and Julie, our other daughter, don't go outside and play in the sprinklers because I don't want you to get wet before you go to Missionettes, which, which was a, a girls group, kind of like Girl Scouts, but a spiritual Girl Scouts to where they talk about the Bible and stuff like that. They earn patches. And so, you know, they were like, okay, well, what did Jesse do? <laughs> she went outside at one point in time and got wet in the sprinkler. So Jean sends Jesse into me and I'm like, what what, do you, what did you do? And she's trying to explain herself. And I'm like, well, you were disobedient. So what's going to happen now is you're not going to go to missionettes. You're going to stay home and you're going you're to think about how you probably should have obeyed your mother and not gone out into the sprinkler and gotten wet. Well, that didn't really sit well with her. She got pretty upset, but I wasn't about to budge because I thought at that point in time she needed to learn obedience instead of just being let off the hook and go to missionettes. Well, what made this thing even worse is that she was the one to bring treats for missionettes that night. So I'm sure that was going on in her mind. And dude, I, I felt terrible about this, but I had made the stance that no, you need to learn obedience. And so I need to correct you at this point in time. And it was out of love. I knew that she was bringing treats and I felt bad about that, but but she needed to learn obedience. And so guess what? Well, we've had, I've talked with her about this over the years, so there's differing parts of the story with her. But she never got wet again in the sprinkler before missionettes. That was the bottom line. So as a parent, I can really see how correcting your children out of love is good for them. And that's the same thing that John saw all these years later as he was reflecting on his relationship with Jesus. And that's what John talks about is love. love. Now, John also wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John, which are small little letters in the New Testament. And what's the theme of those little letters? Love. That's the theme of those letters. That is the primary theme in all of those letters. John truly knew that Jesus loved him. And he wrote down those accounts so that we, 2,000 some odd years later, could understand that Jesus is a loving God. So even though Jesus corrected John over and over and over again, he knew that it was about love. Just like Peter, Jesus could see in John what nobody else could see. Everybody else just saw a son of thunder, but Jesus knew that with the right love, with the right correction in John's life, that John would be a mighty disciple. And that is true. And here we see at the end of the book, we call Revelation, <coughs> which John also wrote on the island of Patmos near the end of his life. We read this in Revelation 3:19 and 20. I correct and discipline everyone I love. Now, this is Jesus talking. This is the words that John has received, and these are Jesus' words that John is writing down. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open that door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. That's Jesus's promise to us. Amen. Yeah, he will come in if we open that door, the door to our hearts, the door to our lives, whatever analogy you want to use, as we ask him to come into our lives and we call him Lord and Savior. He will come in, he will have a meal with us, and he will be our friend. That's what he promises. So correction is not rejection once again. Jesus corrects everyone that he loves. And he's knocking on your door today. Are you going to open up that door and let him in? Now, he might knock you upside the head a little bit with a correction, but that's okay because it's out of love, it's out of concern for you that Jesus does that. We bow with me in prayer. Father God, we just thank you so much for your word. And God, as we study your word, as we look at what your word says, and as we kind of put these things together, it's amazing the love that you have for us. I thank you for the examples that we saw today in John, with John being young and passionate and full of zeal and fire. But there was something in him that was faulty in his thinking. Each one of us can relate to that. But I like, Jesus, how you corrected him, rebuked him out of love and concern. And John was able to see that, comprehend that, and know that because of his relationship with you. It's all in the context of relationship. So I thank you so much for your word. But there's probably several of us here today Maybe we've been struggling with this, this idea that God is a, a God that just wants to rebuke and correct me. Or maybe we've been, maybe we've seen that example in our earthly fathers or parents, that it was just a bunch of correction and it was harsh at times. God, you know our individual situations. I pray right now that you'd speak to our hearts, speak to our minds. Let us know, each one of us, that you only have our best interest at heart, that you are a God of love, that you don't want to, correct us just for correction's sake but you know that as we are obedient to you as we change different aspects of our lives that it is only for good you are a good good father you have our best interest in mind and at heart Every time, every time. Speak to us right now, I pray. As we're bowed in his presence, as we reflect on these truths that we've learned from God's word, I want to ask you a question. With no one else looking around, is that you today? Do you need to surrender your life to Jesus? Maybe this is the first time you've been asked this question or maybe this is the first time you're ready to say yes. Maybe you've heard this call before but something has always said no or you've always said no but today you're ready to say yes. Or maybe you've asked him into your life before and you've asked him to change but life's circumstances had just become too difficult for you and so you walked away. If that's you in either case, will you raise your hand so I can pray with you when no one else is looking around? Thank you. Thank you. There's several of us here today that are responding to this message in our lives. Father God, I thank you for those that are committing their lives to you right now. Continue to speak to their hearts right now, I pray. If that's you, each one of us, just repeat this after me. If that's you, pray this with me as well. All of us. Father God, I thank you for sending Jesus. He died on the cross for me. That sacrifice takes my sins away. Jesus, you beat the grave. You rose again. Change my life from the inside out. Make me new. I commit my life to you now. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Let's give a hand clap for those that have said that prayer. That's exciting. That is exciting. It never gets old for me. Never gets old that Jesus is in the business of changing lives. And he does it week after week after week. Well, we have a couple things. I have my iPad here. We have a couple things to. Is it on the table? Okay, great. Uh, Oh, no problem. Hey, man, we're real people around here. We just roll with the flow, right? we take we take each other's iPads it doesn't have to be perfect and polished but what needs to happen is Jesus needs to change our lives right that's the bottom line with all of this is that Jesus changes our lives we got some next steps for each one of us regardless of what situation you're in uh, i've talked about this this is a twofold message series Next steps for disciple makers. If you are in a disciple making relationship, don't be afraid to rebuke or correct your disciple. Our jobs as mentors is to correct faulty thinking. And so that, that's what we do. And, and remember, I prayed that it was in a context of relationship that Jesus speaks to us. And it's the same thing that we do for others when we're in this discipleship relationship. Pat has a small group, Pat and Claudette, iron sharpens iron. It's a great verse of the Bible is that we come alongside of each other and we sharpen each other. So that's one of the things, as a disciple maker, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid to help Bring your disciple to the next level. Number two, temper your rebuke though with lots and lots and lots of love. I remember as a leader in the military, they said for every, uh, aw crap, it was what they said, make sure that you do an attaboy three or four times for that same person. Takes a lot of time, takes a lot of effort, but it's the same principle. We need to employ that same principle with the people that we are making disciples with lots and lots of love. That's what Jesus did. That's what we saw Jesus do to John. We need to do the same. Now, the next two next steps are for all of us. We're all disciples, right? So wherever you're at, you're a disciple. Number one, don't believe the lie that confrontation equals hatred. You know, a lot of times the world talks about that kind of stuff that, you know what, if, if we disagree with each other, well, then you hate me. You know, we need to be tolerant of everything with each other. No, no, we don't. In context of relationships, you know what? We need to be able to be corrected. We, it's okay if we disagree with people. It's not hatred. What it is, in what we're talking about, is it's, it's helpful for me. So I need to be, not believe the lie that confrontation equals hatred. And number two, and this one's close to my heart, have a teachable spirit cultivate a teachable spirit that's the one thing that I have have tried to do my whole life is to maintain a teachable spirit I'll never know everything I know that to be true so why should I walk around like I do I need to be teachable each one of us does God wants to show us new things he wants to teach us new things each and every day let's cultivate a teachable spirit